This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. In the untouched regions of the forest, the kōkako runs through the treetops feeding on community leaves, or flowers chaos. and fruit. We can construct and nurture community with its distinctive of... orange wattles at the base of the bill hasn't been sighted in many years and may be extinct. A situation the blue wattled bird of the North Island may find itself in unless its habitat is preserved. Its delightful call includes a variety of rich organ and bell-like notes. Community or chaos, we can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or Chaos is made possible with the support of Quakers Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz. Good morning, friends. Today we have with us Eduardo Valdez, who's Cuban ambassador to New Zealand. And you can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz and then going to podcast then going to Community of Chaos. Well, welcome to uh, Community of Chaos and and I hope you're enjoying your stay in New Zealand. Thank you very much, Robert. Um, Yes, I am enjoying it. Now, what motivated you to become a, a foreign affairs, make a career in foreign affairs? Well, uh, you know, Cuba is a very small island, very close to the United States, with a very complicated relationship with the U.S. And because of that, uh, our life in Cuba is affected in every aspect by international relations, and especially by the relationship that we have with the United States. So, uh, in general, the population is very uh, interested in international affairs. And I started uh, reading and studying about that, and I decided that it was a good opportunity to participate in that process. And that's why I I chose that career. I went to the university to study international relations and then made a master's degree. And here I am. Was it easy for you to uh, go to university, and how did you pay for that? No, in Cuba, uh, education is free at all levels. So all you have to do is to to apply for uh, the career you you prefer, and according to your results in the previous uh, levels of education, you will get it or not, and you will have the opportunity to study another sensitive you don't get it, but fortunately, I have the chance. So to, they the s- one. select people by ability and and work for university. Sorry? They they select people by their ability and their attitude toward the work. Yes, that's the system. You know, as as it is free for everyone, and there may be some careers that, that have more uh, people interested. So uh, according to the amount of places. Uh, that are available at the university, they will establish uh, a list of people according to their results, academic results. That's the, 
the way they choose who is going to the different careers. I think you have something in common with New Zealand. I think islanders, uh, island countries have to uh, be more aware of trade and uh, relationships with other nations. Absolutely. And uh, besides that, it is very important for us that the world is uh, ruled by the international organizations and, uh, you know, principles that have been agreed by the whole community and not by the military power or the economic power that other countries have. What's Cuba's relationship with New Zealand? How has it been recently and how was it, uh, how does it compare with uh, when uh, John Key was prime minister? Well, we, we have a very good relationship uh, with New Zealand, especially a political uh, relationship. We have had uh, diplomatic relations for uh, 22 years now. And we have a lot of uh, common positions in the, at the United Nations, in the World Trade Organization, in the World Health Organization, right? In the, mostly in the international arena, we have a lot of coincidence and we have a lot of cooperation also because we both uh, support multilateralism, peace, climate change, human rights, you know, different issues that, uh, where we can cooperate. And, in, and uh, from the bilateral point of view, uh, since I arrived here, I have had a very good uh, connection and communication with all the officials at all levels. And in general, uh, there is a consensus in New Zealand about their relationship with Cuba. So it doesn't make a big change or a big difference when there is a government or another. And uh, But uh, I can mention that uh, during the uh, previous government, there have been maybe more visits at a high-level contacts and all that. But uh, in my personal experience, I have to take into consideration that this has been a very strange uh, year and a half <laughs> where COVID has affected everything. So uh, in general, uh, there is not too, too much opportunities. There are not too much opportunities to, to have these direct contacts. Uh, we are interested also in improving our trade relationship and investments in Cuba by New Zealand companies, and we are trying to work on that. But as I mentioned before, this is, is not the best time to advance in any bilateral. Uh, you mentioned earlier the importance of um, of international law and the uh, rules and law-based uh, relationships. I guess that would be one thing that Cuba and New Zealand would share is a need for uh, international law and relations so that small nations have no have some more idea of where they stand. Absolutely. You know that uh, the United Nations is a very important organization and it, and in that sense, we have had very close cooperation with New Zealand. When New Zealand was a member of the Security Council, where we had very good communication and cooperation. And in many of the specialized organs or organizations of the UN, we usually exchange support for our candidatures 
and we uh, coordinate our positions and uh, in general it's a very uh, productive uh, relationship and uh, we are very uh, grateful that New Zealand has uh, supported the Cuban resolution that is approved every year at the UN condemning the US blockade against Cuba it has been approved for 29 uh, years now in the 29 locations at the UN with our overwhelming majority and New Zealand has been voting in favor of that resolution very consistently. Speaking of the embargo, how do you feel when American organizations or Americans uh, talk um, scathingly about New- Cuba's poverty or the fact that Cuba has food problems when the um, how does that feel coming from a country that's enforcing a, an economic embargo? Well, you know, the, the, the embargo has a clear objective, and it is a political one. They, it is designed to try to change the political system in Cuba. Before the Cuban Revolution in 1959, the U.S. controlled everything in Cuba. They were the owners of most of the land, the factories, and everything. And after the revolution, they started a policy uh, aim at getting all this back. There is a very famous uh, memorandum from a, an important official of the State Department in the early 60s. Uh, Lester Mallory said that uh, the Cuban government had an overwhelming support of the population. So the only way to be able to change that was to establish uh, restrictions that will create difficulties, uh, hunger, and, and problems, so that that uh, people will uh, be willing to change the the situation, to change the system. They have been trying to do that for more than sixty years now, and the revolution still have the the support of the majority of the population, even though when we have a lot of difficulties in our daily life because of the same regulations. The U.S. used to be our main trading partner. They are very close to us. We, we could get products in a couple of days from the U.S. very fast. And nowadays, we have to buy everything from China, Vietnam, Europe, different countries very far away. So everything is more expensive. It takes longer time to get things to, to the country. And besides that, they uh, have a lot of regulations that make it difficult for us to work in the international banking system. Even here in New Zealand, we have difficulties to operate with the banks. And they uh, do not allow Cuba to buy any product that has more than 10% of components that are from US uh, origin. So it is very difficult to get uh, high technology equipment and different things. And uh, there's also the impact, the psychological impact that, you know, people in different countries, when they are thinking that doing business in Cuba can create the difficulties with the U.S., they simply decide not to deal with Cuba or to do it uh, with another continent. So the impact of the blockade is in all areas of our life every day. And... uh, it's unbelievable. They are still saying that they uh, are taking these positions and that the blockade is aimed at, at helping the Cuban people. Do you um, 
have embassies in other Pacific Islands and Australia, or are you the main representative? Yes, well, well uh, we have an embassy in Australia, we have an embassy here in New Zealand, and uh, I'm in charge of our relationships with uh, New Zealand, Cook Islands, and New And besides that, there is an embassy in Fiji that is in charge of our relationship with the rest of the Pacific Islands, where we have uh, very active uh, diplomatic relations, we have cooperation, and uh, we are also involved in the activities of the Pacific uh, Island Forum. Okay. Oh, to you as a Cuban, what is socialism and uh, what are its values and goals in, in your personal opinion? Well, uh, there may be many theoretical definitions of socialism, but personally, I think that the, the essence of the more important thing is that uh, it is a system in which the human being is the priority. It's a system uh, where uh, everyone uh, gets or receives equal opportunities and where your place in society is not defined by the amount of money that you have. I think that's very important. Uh, it's a system where you have the right uh, to health, to education, to housing, to a decent work, and uh, all human beings are treated equally. And for me, that's the most important thing. You know? We defend the values uh, of humanism, solidarity, uh, that you should feel as your own the suffering of any human being, that you share what you have, even if you don't have too much. Uh, in general, it's to have a, a fairer society where everyone contributes according to their abilities or possibilities and everyone receives according to the work that they do. That's mostly uh, our idea. Have those, those values affected your personal life? For instance, uh, in your embassy in Wellington, uh, some embassies are very, very large and very expensive. What's it like for you, and how, is, how do these values affect the way you run your embassy? Well, uh, you know, Cuba has more than 124 embassies all over the world, but most of our embassies are very small ones. Usually it's just a couple of officials, and uh, we have to work with a reduced budget. But it is very important for us, as I said before, being an island and having this difficult relationship with the U.S., it's very important for us to be present in mm -hmm. as many places as possible to explain our reality mm -hmm. because there is also a lot of misinformation about Cuba. And uh, in general, we operate, uh, we do our best. We, we, our uh, career as a diplomat is not, you know, to get privileges or to have a nice life, but to serve our country and to try to do as much as we can with uh, a few money. Sometimes we have, as I said, difficulties that are the consequence of the U.S. Uh, blockade against Cuba. We have difficulty for communications with Cuba. For example, you cannot use Zoom in Cuba because of the regulations of the blockade. 
Uh, we have difficulties operating with the banks. We cannot, uh, for example, in our embassy, we don't have a credit card. We have to operate with, with a lot of uh, difficulties because of all these uh, situations. But we do our best and uh, we are uh, very satisfied that uh, all over New Zealand we get uh, the opportunity to talk to people and they are always interested in our reality and very sympathetic about uh, our positions. How is the head of state selected in Cuba? Well, the the, the head of state is uh, the president. We have a, a system that is uh, based in the popular uh, voting, you know, all the the elected uh, officials you know, are, are elected by direct and, and uh, private uh, vote. You know, it is uh, it starts uh, with the elections for the national assembly. It's a it's a process where at the neighborhood level people gather in order to propose their candidates to represent them at the general uh, at the national assembly. So, at the national assembly, which is our parliament. When uh, these people are, are elected, they go to the municipal level where the, the assembly at the municipal level decides which will be the candidates of this municipality to the uh, national assembly. When this is decided, there is an election where people vote for these candidates and the ones that are elected go to the to the national assembly. The national assembly is made out of uh, six hundred and five members, and uh, they get together and they uh, elect the president, the vice president, and uh, and also the council of states, the member, uh, and uh, so the president is selected by the National Assembly from among its members. Where he needs to get the absolute majority and he gets a term of five years after which he can be reelected uh, once uh, again. So basically he gets five to ten years. Yes. And then yes. has to retire or move on to another yes. job? Move on to another position, yes. Raul Castro, the brother of Fidel Castro, yes. uh, personally decided not to stand for re-election uh, after the second time, didn't he? Yes, he did. Uh, in fact, he was one of the the officials that promoted that the, the, the president of the country should be uh, limited to two periods of uh, five years. Uh, he was, uh, among other things, trying to create the better conditions for the new generation of leaders to take responsibilities for the future of the country. While there is a still the historical generation that made the revolution uh, there, to help them, to uh, advise them, and to uh, support them. Has the head of state usually also been first secretary of the Communist Party? Yes, most of the time. 
but uh, in recent years, when uh, there was a time when the, uh, the current president, uh, Miguel Díaz-Canel, was president, and uh, Raúl Castro was the leader of the Communist Party. But nowadays, again, uh, the, the president, uh, Díaz-Canel, is also the head of the Communist Party. After the last Congress of the, of the party, uh, chooses him to replace Raúl. What's the relationship between the Communist Party and the National Assembly and, and government, and how is policy set? Well, the, the, the party is, the by definition in the Constitution, is the leading political force of the society and the state. It means that it establishes, you know, the general uh, tasks and ideas that are uh, going to be used as a guideline for the General Assembly, the President, the Council of State, the Council of Ministers, everyone. So Cuba is frequently criticized because they say that it's a one-party system and all that, but you have to take into consideration that, uh, first of all, the, the party is not an active subject of the electoral process. They don't participate in elections, and elections are not uh, uh, organized in that way. As I said, they are organizing the, well, the neighborhoods and all that. But besides that, for example, the, the Communist Party have around 700,000 members, and the country has more than 11 million people. So when the party is going to establish these guidelines, they uh, made all the preparations among the uh, members of the party. But after they have, let's say, a, a draft about that, then that draft is taken to the whole population to be discussed and to be approved. So uh, the, the general, um, uh, you know, targets and um, objectives of the society uh, of the society are established by the party, but in contact with the uh, consultation with the, the people. Then, when we have all this process very recently, and after that, then we have a new constitution that was uh, uh, prepared in order to uh, adapt to the new conditions all these uh, ideas. And when that constitution was drafted, it was submitted to the consideration of the whole population it was uh, approved in a referendum, and it got more than 86% of uh, support. That's the way it functions. So the party has a, a leading uh, uh, role in the society, but the government and the general assembly are the ones that uh, they develop that uh, those uh, ideas and, and projects. And the, the National Assembly is the only one who has the right to uh, establish legislations and to change the constitutions and all that. The, um, are there members of the Assembly and, the, um, and ministers who are not members of the party? Well, most of them are, but that's not a condition. As I said, the party has no uh, participation in all these processes uh, as a party. You know? and so the, the, in, in the Constitution or in any uh, rules, there is established that you have to be 
a member of the party to be elected to any position. You have to be a member of the National Assembly in order to be elected president. You need to be a member of the National Assembly to be elected a member of the Council of State or to be elected uh, for these important positions, vice president of the assembly or vice president of the republic and all that. Because as all members of the assembly are, are approved by the, the population, by direct voting and all that, so they already have the support of the, the population because they, they, they were uh, approved at the at lower level and established uh, and started, you know, being uh, elected to the upper levels in the in during that uh, process, but it's it's not a, a precondition to be member of the party to assume a position in the government. Diaz uh, was a minister of education, wasn't he? Uh, yes, previous. higher education. He, he, during his career, you know, he was a professor at the university. He's an engineer. He, he got a, a doctor degree recently at the university, even after being a, a, chosen a, as a president. Uh, he then was the leader of a party in, in some provinces in, in Cuba. Then he became a president, uh, I mean, minister of higher education during some times, and then he was uh, vice president, and finally he was elected president. The, I'm going to uh, play some more some music, and then we'll come back. Okay. And this is uh, a song by Pete Seeger. Guajira, Guantanamera Guantanamera Guajira, Guantanamera Yo soy un hombre sincero De donde crece la palma Yo soy un hombre sincero De donde crece la palma Antes de morir me quiero Echa mis versos del alma Guantanamera Guajira, Guantanamera Guantanamera Guajira, Guantanamera Mi verso es de una verde claro Y de un carmen encendido Mis versos es de una verde claro Y de un carmen encendido Mi verso es un cielo herido Que busca en el monte amparo Guantanamera Guajira, Guantanamera The words mean, I am a truthful man from the land of the palm trees. 
And before dying, I want to share these poems of my soul. My poems are soft green. My poems are also flaming crimson. My poems are like a wounded fawn seeking refuge in the forest. The last verse says, Con los pobres de la tierra, with the poor people of this earth, I want to share my fate. The streams of the mountain pleases me more than the sea. Con los pobres de la tierra, quiero yo mi suerte achar. Con los pobres de la tierra, quiero yo mi suerte achar. El arroyo de la sierra me complace más que el mar. Guantanamera, Guajira, Guantanamera. That was Guantanamera uh, by a Cuban poet sung by Pete Seeger. And you can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz and then going to podcast and going to Community of Chaos. Uh, Eduardo, uh, are you familiar with the poet that Pete Seeger was singing about? Yes, you know, in fact, uh, we are familiar with Pete Seeger, who has uh, been a very important uh, figure in the North American and and world popular uh, culture. But the poems he was using in in that song were written by our national hero, Jose Martin. And they talked a lot about, you know, the freedom and the the necessity of the country to to be free and uh, hope and everything like that. Okay, who is Jose Montero? Jose Marti was a a poet. He's very uh, recognized as one of the best Latin American poets of all times. He uh, was the founder of the uh, Cuban party that was founded in in Florida among the uh, workers there that were in, in exile. Uh, he organized the, an expedition to go to Cuba in order to fight for our freedom at that time against Spain, who was the colonizer country at that time. He went back to Cuba. He tried to unify all the forces there, and he died in combat. And he's considered our national hero. He's a 
uh, when Fidel Castro went to establish, uh, to, to initiate the revolution and uh, attacked the Moncada garrison, and he was caught and went to trial. He said in the trial that Jose Martí was the mastermind of the Cuban revolution because he was basing his ideas when he, he organized everything. Okay, thank you for that. How was the relationship between Cuba and the U.S. under Obama? Well, uh, when Obama uh, uh, took the decision to restablish diplomatic relations with Cuba, it was a big change. You know, uh, we have had uh, no relations for many years, and uh, the situation was very tense during many periods. Sometimes we were expecting a military invasion from the U.S., and in fact, in in the early 60s, there was the famous Bay of Peak invasion that was defeated in less than 70, the 72 hours. And uh, there, as I said, the situation has been extremely tense during most of the time. Obama decided that uh, that policy had not functioned, the, the policy of uh, pressure and blockade and everything. And he said that it, that policy was a failure and it had to be changed. His aim was the same. He wanted to change the Cuban system, but he considered that the American system was better. And when the Cubans were getting contact with the American uh, way of life and everything, they will uh, change their system themselves. We were uh, aware of that, and we were willing to take the challenge. And we uh, started improving our bilateral relationships. A lot of Americans uh, started visiting Cuba, we had uh, around 20 agreements in different areas of uh, mutual interest. And we uh, were and are uh, willing to develop our relationship in a, uh, with the U.S. in a normal way based on respect, mutual respect and respect for our sovereignty. And uh, at that time, in fact, Obama visited Cuba and uh, he, uh, his secretary of state, uh, reopened the American embassy, and uh, everything was better for uh, the U.S. citizens to Cubans living in the United States, and also for Cubans in Cuba because the tensions were lower and uh, we were getting some uh, benefits from the, the increase in the amount of tourists from the U.S. that were visiting Cuba and all that. So the, the relationship was uh, better. And uh, then came Trump and changed everything. He was obsessed not only with Cuba, but with Obama, and he wanted to roll back everything that Obama had done. And he was also trying to please the right-wing uh, Cuban-Americans in Florida. And uh, he approved 243 measures and decisions in order to tighten the blockade against Cuba. That created much more difficulties for the Cuban people, especially in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, up to now, President Biden has not made any changes in that policy. How has Cuba coped with COVID-19? 
well, uh, the situation now with it is very complex one. Uh, until last December, we were doing very well. But in December, a lot of Cubans living abroad went back to the country in order to visit their families and uh, have their Christmas parties and everything. And now we're paying the consequences of that. We are having uh, more than 19,000 cases and more than 1,000 people have died. And uh, we have to um, take stronger measures in order to try to control all this. Uh, fortunately, we have a very uh, well-trained uh, and prepared uh, health uh, personnel and system, and uh, everyone is getting the uh, care that, that they need. In fact, we are already vaccinating a lot of people with our own vaccines against COVID that were developed by Cuban scientists. And uh, more than 1,200,000 people have already got all the vaccines needed. And uh, like 2 million people have received at least one doses of the vaccine. So we hope that in the near future, we will be able to vaccinate at least 70% of the population, and we will be able to vaccinate all the population before the end of the year with our own vaccines. Has the embargo forced Cuba to be uh, more independent and robust in certain ways? Yes, absolutely. You know, the, the, the history of our health system in general is uh, in a way a consequence of uh, this uh, policy because at the very beginning of the revolution, there were only 6,000 doctors in Cuba, most of them in the capital. And half of them left uh, to the United States at the beginning of the revolution. So the country was left with 3,000 uh, doctors. And then we started preparing doctors and preparing scientists and everything. And uh, nowadays we have 95,000 doctors and 85,000 nurses in Cuba. We have uh, the highest uh, percentage of uh, uh, health personnel in the world and a very well-organized system. Besides that, as we cannot buy a lot of products, as I mentioned before, that have uh, US components and we have a lot of difficulties in that sense. We started preparing our our own scientists and our, our uh, factories. Um, we have a program of vaccination in Cuba that includes 13 vaccines, and eight of these 13 vaccines are produced in Cuba. And uh, now with COVID, we have five vaccine candidates. Two of them have finished all the trials and are... Uh, now considered uh, in, the, in the process of being considered officially as vaccines. One of them uh, has successfully finished the second phase trial. And in general, we are producing a lot of uh, our pharmaceuticals and treatments, and some of them are unique and have been very successful and are used in uh, other countries. Like, for example, uh, we have a, a treatment for the diabetic food that is very effective, I think, and it is used 
in more than 15 countries around the world, including developed countries. And uh, in general, that's something that is helping us to face all, face all these problems, you know, during the, the pandemic and all that. But uh, even when we have all these advantages, it is difficult for us to get the raw materials and, and equipment and differences because of the virus. So it, it's still having an impact in our health system. Has the abundance of medical doctors been a help for your relationship with the rest of the world? Yes, absolutely. You know, we have been helping a lot of uh, countries for many years. You know, the, the first time that the uh, Cuba Medical Brigade uh, participated in, a, in helping another country was in 1960, one year after the triumph of the revolution. There was a small group of uh, doctors and people that went to Chile because there was a earthquake there and they went there to help. After that, in 1963, a brigade went to Argelia to, to help there. And since then, uh, we have been uh, helping a lot of uh, countries. In, in At the beginning of this year, more than 28 uh, thousand doctors and nurses from Cuba were working in 59 countries in a permanent way. And during the COVID, we sent 57 brigades of uh, health personnel to help in 40 countries, including very developed countries as Italy, Andorra, and some others, even the very rich countries in the Middle East wanted to, to get the support of Cuba because our doctors are uh, willing to go anywhere. They are very well trained. They are very professional and uh, they get a lot of recognitions everywhere. So it helps us uh, to have a good relations with uh, many uh, countries. But besides that, and the most important thing is that the people of the world know that Cuba is willing to help and, and they know the Cuban professionals, and they uh, like very much the way they relate with, with them. What are the conditions and benefits for Cuban doctors who are willing to work overseas as part of the Cuban medical, medic and development projects? Well, that's a, a very interesting question, and I, I, I would like to take advantage of this to mention that there is an important campaign in, by the United States that want to uh, discredit our uh, medical cooperation abroad. And they say that the doctors are spies or they say that the doctors are uh, slaves because they are not paid the whole salary that they get in those countries and all that. And uh, that's only, you know, uh, an, another attempt to try to deprive uh, Cuba from uh, some incomes and from the prestige that uh, uh, we get from this cooperation. The, the way the function is more or less the following. It varies from one country to another, but in general, it, uh, it is uh, uh, an agreement that is established between the Cuban government and another country's government. Then there is a Cuban agency that uh, made the, the contrast with the, the doctors 
it is voluntary. If they want to go, they just sign a contract with some conditions they accept. As I said, these conditions are different from one country to another. In some countries, they go with their family. In some countries, they go alone because of different conditions and all that. And they get a, a, some a benefit from that cooperation. From the professional point of view, the first benefit is that they, in many countries, they are able to deal with diseases that they have never dealt before because they do not exist in Cuba. Another uh, benefit is that they, you know, they get in contact with other cultures, other people. Sometimes they learn new languages and all that. But besides that, regarding their uh, specific activity, when a, co a, a doctor signs a contract to uh, work abroad, he, uh, if he is not traveling with his family, he will get his salary in Cuba so that he uh, can leave it, uh, that salary to his family. He gets uh, paid vacations, including the, their uh, ticket to go every year to, back to Cuba. And he will uh, get his same position that he had before leaving when he comes back to the, when he goes back to the, to the country. And when he goes to the, to the country he's working, he will get part of the amount of money that is paid to the Cuban government by the, that country's government. And the rest of that money is invested in the Cuban public health system, which, as I said, is free for everyone. And in a way, it benefits also these doctors because when they uh, go back to Cuba, they will find better equipment and better conditions at the hospitals and everywhere because of that money that they have been helping the country to earn. That's more or less the way it functions. You have to take into consideration also that these doctors are people that are uh, got uh, the, a career and education for free and in a way they are paying uh, back their country and humanity with the work they are doing uh, in different places. That's an interesting concept actually because if people have free education perhaps morally and ethically they may feel they owe something to the country or city that, that enable them to have a, a good and free education. If people have to pay enormous sums, they may not feel the same. They may not feel, feel the same responsibility. So, is the, free education, that has benefits beyond the fact that people are getting educated, doesn't it? Yes, of course. And in Cuba, um, you 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 have a lot of opportunities to study, uh, not only you know a career, but also to to become uh, working in a specific area or to learn languages and all. That. And all this education is it's free, so it gives you an opportunity not only to get uh, you know better preparation and a good job or all that but also to make the decisions and to consider. As, as at the beginning of the interview, you asked me about you know, why I, I was involved in foreign policy. You know, that the level of education that the population has is very uh, useful to understand what's going on in the world, what's going on around Cuba, 
what's going on in the in our relationship with the United States, and that gives them the the population also the opportunity to understand that most of our difficulties are a consequence of that aggressive policy, and that's why even in the middle of difficulties, the population is still supporting the revolution and trying to do their best in order to overcome our difficulties. I'm aware that if you have to pay a large sum for your education in loans, you may feel that when you finish university that you have to uh, charge high rates for your service to pay for the loans. And then maybe you finish paying for the loans, but you may still not drop the charges you're making to the public. So free or user pay education, either of those choices has ramifications, doesn't it? Yes. Now, in Cuba, there are three areas where they cannot be uh, private uh, activity. You know, you cannot uh, have a, a private hospital or a private school. And uh, these three sectors are, of course, uh, defense, education, and public health. So, uh, it means that everyone will get the same uh, education or the same possibilities to, uh, in education and in, in public health. And, uh, and that's uh, extremely important. So we don't have the problem, you know, that, that someone will be charging a lot for you. And uh, it doesn't function that, that way in our country. I understand Cuba's population is shrinking as in many countries where we have ed good education and health care. And in New Zealand, we people are concerned about people, whether we're going to have enough people willing to work in agriculture and live in rural areas. Does, does Cuba have the same problem? Yes, we do. In fact, you know, the, the population is getting older because uh, as we have very good indicators in public health, the, the, there are not too many uh, births because, you know, a lot of women are working and are developing uh, different responsibilities and all that. So, uh, and besides that, we gave uh, the opportunity to study to everyone. So most of the children of the farmers went to the cities in order to study. They started uh, developing uh, different activities. Some of them are nowadays lawyers or doctors or whatever. They don't want to go back to the to their countryside in order to work. So we have the, the same problem. We have a, a population that is uh, getting older. We have uh, difficulties to get people uh, willing to go back to, the, to work in agriculture and all that. And, we are now uh, trying to, to create new conditions so that uh, we can find a solution to this. In general, you know, we are paying better uh, uh, salaries in the, in the countryside, trying to, to give uh, better living conditions to the people that live in those areas. In some uh, cases, we are, uh, government is uh, listening uh, or giving uh, land for free for periods of 50 years so that people can go there and produce. 
So there are many ideas trying to incentivate people to go back to agriculture, but in general, yes, we have the same problem. How, what are the differences between living in Cuba and living in New Zealand, personally? Well, per personally, a, there is a big difference because in Cuba, I am a, you know, a regular citizen that works uh, every day and go back to home and get together with family and friends and all that. And here I am representing Cuba. So I am more involved in official activities, you know, meeting uh, New Zealand officials, New Zealand uh, people, uh, going to diplomatic functions and all that. So the life is very different. Fortunately, there are some things that I uh, find that are very similar between both countries. In general, the people are extremely friendly and open. I love that New Zealanders are not uh, like people in all countries that are only thinking about buying things and consuming. And uh, that is the, it is a very uh, safe country. And uh, those are uh, things that are very similar to, to my country. So I, I feel very well here. It is also a beautiful country. It's very different from Cuba. I miss a lot Cuban beaches because the temperature of the beaches here in, in New Zealand is uh, very cold for, for me, for my family in general. But uh, it has been a very interesting and nice experience to, to be here and to try to help uh, in a way, you know, to, to strengthen our relationship between our peoples and our governments and our countries in general. Well, thank you very much for coming on the radio. It's been really enjoyable having this conversation with you. And uh, we hope you uh, enjoy the rest of your work in New Zealand. And we hope your family, both here and in Cuba, are well. And that uh, COVID-19 is, um, the vaccines work and things improve that way. Thanks a lot for coming on board. Thanks you for this opportunity and thanks to all the people that have been listening to us. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.